learned about this guy this morning, but we we kind of started off. Um, oops, we'll go this way. We started off last week, and we we kind of went all the way back into Genesis, and we were talking about the original call of Abraham. We were observing those kind of 400-year periods, those blocks of 400 years of slavery in the Exodus, and then we talked about the 400 years of, of, of silence, and then as God opens up his mouth again through Zechariah, we started all the way back in Genesis. Um, but I kind of want to set the stage in the temple this year, or this year, this, this morning. I want to set the stage in the temple, and um, the temple, so we have to understand that the temple was where the, the Jews would believe that here they come. Did he make a breakout? Is that what I heard? <laughs> the temple is where the Jews believed that heaven and earth would come together, right? So we often think in these kind of dualistic terms as well too, and it's something that we have to sometimes kind of unlearn because there was there was the common understanding that heaven, the co- like heaven was kind of up and above somewhere in there, and then we had earth, right? And we kind of know those kind of those kind of separate realms, right? And that's Oftentimes, and I don't have the time this morning to get into this kind of, it's called Platonic dualism, how, how Plato understands heaven above and earth below, right? And, and the Jews had, had, in some senses, kind of bought into that, that kind of Platonic, they kind of bought into this dualism that this, they were kind of separate. But they believed that heaven and earth specifically came together in the temple, right? In the temple. So, the temple, just a brief history of the temple, in one minute or less. When, when the Jews are liberated in the Exodus and they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, anybody remember what the temple's called in, in those wandering? It starts with the T2. The tabernacle. They kind of have this portable temple on wheels that they travel with, they set up. It's called the tabernacle. As they move into the promised land, King David unites the tribes. He brings all the borders together. Um, but it's his son Solomon that builds the first temple, right? So this is, say, around 600 B.C., so about 600 years before Christ is born. Solomon builds the first temple. It's almost like the peak of the Jewish, of the Israelite nation. He builds that first temple. Again, heaven and earth coming together in the temple. Um, But then Babylon, Assyria come in. The Jews are exiled. There's that that time of exile. Uh, The temple's completely destroyed, and then it isn't until King Herod comes along that what's called the second temple is then built, right? If you were to go to Israel today, this is what you still see remnants of. King Herod's second temple that's built, right? And again, the idea here in the temple as King Herod built it was, in the Jewish mind, was that heaven and earth would come together in the temple and that's where, where kind of God's presence invaded earth. Um, but as you think about the temple, one of the things we have to think about the temple, our, our mind in the temple thinks like, oh yeah, they did the offerings, they did the sacrifices, they kind of did the religious stuff. But the temple was not just a center for worship, right? The temple was a, a location for banking, for economics, for debt. And what happens in this particular temple as Jesus is born, as Jesus is kind of coming up and growing in in the time around his birth, is the temple's in the wrong hands, right? Rome, right? Rome is the one who had taken over and they were in charge of the temple. Sure, they let Israel, Israel kind of do what they wanted to do, but they had the power and they had the authority over the temple. Um, He didn't like that point or what happened? Yeah. Um, 
So Rome, again, we, we just kind of think, oh, temple, Christian, sacrifice, offering. Rome would use the temple, right? They would use and abuse the power that they were able to exert over the temple to enslave and discriminate. The temple was corrupt. One of the things that you would learn, and this wasn't true just in Jewish culture, but in all cultures, that if there was a group of revolutionaries, right? Say in this, in this particular case, right? If there was a group of Jewish revolutionaries, one of the things that they would do is they would go into the temple and they would cleanse the temple. One of the ways that they would cleanse the temple is that they would destroy all the records of debt and economics and money and banking. They would destroy all those records as a way to set people free. How did you keep people enslaved, right? One of the ways that they would keep people enslaved was economics. Where were the economics centered? In the temple. Who controlled the temple? Rome, right? So the place, and again, this is one of the reasons why Jesus goes in and one of the things that he's doing when he cleanses the temple is largely an economic act, right? The people who are buying and selling, the exchanges, the money. And one of the things that revolutionaries would do is they go in and they cleanse the temple. The temple where people were to be set free, where forgiveness was to be offered, was being used to subjugate, to oppress, to persecute, right? And this is where we encounter this last song, is a man named Simeon in the temple, okay? The temple, again, as we would understand it, is a really, for the most part, corrupt entity being overrun by, by, Roman, by Roman rule. So we're going to meet this, this righteous man, Simeon, right? The Bible says there's a righteous man named Simeon. And in some senses, it's a little bit of a joke because to say that there's a righteous man in the temple would kind of be um, like an honest person in a courtroom, right? Like an honest, there was an honest lawyer in the courtroom and we kind of like, oh yeah, of course, no, there's not. We all know the joke, right? There was a righteous man in the temple. Oh no, there's, there's not. It's, it's, it's a corrupt, it's a shell. It's, it's a, you know, what does Jesus call it? A den of robbers, right? But we meet this man, Simeon, in the book of Luke, and let's read this, um, this, this passage called the Nunc Dimittis. Rob, am I incorrect? Is, you've been there to the temple? Didn't you visit Jerusalem at some point? Yeah. Anyone else ever been to the temple? To Jerusalem? Uh, We'll start in verse, I think I want to start there in in verse 21. And then we're going to read down through 32. I'll open it up and then maybe one or two other folks. And and this is the shortest of all the songs. But again, it says on the eighth day. So this is a little bit beyond kind of the classical Christmas, like, you know, Jesus and the manger and the, the shepherds and all that stuff. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Of 
Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. Good, excellent. So this song, kind of, the, the Nunc Dimittis, comes from these words that are mentioned, right? Once um, uh, he would, he would kind of not die, verse, verse 26, you know, not die, or Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you kind of may now dismiss, right? This kind of dismissal is, is where we get the title for this song. Um, the, the thing that stood out to me, and again, it's, it's a really, I mean, what is it? Two, four, six lines. Sovereign Lord, as you have now, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And then this last verse, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So the Gentiles, I thought we'd, we'd kind of talk about those folks for a little bit. And, and as we've understood the Gentiles over, over the years and as we've discussed them, Gentiles was kind of a placeholder. It was a name for kind of anybody who is non-Jewish, right? Pagan, not chosen, right? But in the Old Testament, one of the things we, we learn about the, the kind of Gentiles, and this is what we talked about last week, Abraham's original call is that they would be a blessing and a light to the Gentiles, right? That they would, they would that their vocation would be to be a blessing and a light. What's the report? It's because you stage people have been eating them all up. Like. There's a roll of Ritz crackers right there. The Lord has provided a roll of Ritz crackers for your kids. Not even open. And I have ice cream in the freezer, too. We can just get you kids all sugared up while we're doing it. And there's donut holes. There we go. We're good. Carbs and sugar, what kids live on. Thank you, though, Deacon. The, the call of Israel, right, starting from Abraham on, was to be a, a blessing and a light to the Gentiles. Well, then, the question then becomes, like, how do you do that, right? How are you supposed to be a light and a blessing to the Gentiles? And this question would arise, and this question would be discussed by the rabbis, should we separate from them, or should we be out in the Gentile world trying to bring them in? If you separated from them, right, if you kind of separated and said, then how would you bring them in? How would you end up bring those, you know, if you kind of remained in your own little kind of clique, in your own little, hey, this is our Jewish borders, like, how would you then bring them in? But if you were inclusive to the Gentiles, right, if you went out into the Gentiles, one of 
one of the concerns was that the Jews might lose their identity, their lifestyle, who they are. And this was a, a very classical debate of Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, you had two famous rabbis, the two most famous rabbis of, in kind of Jesus' day was a man named Rabbi Hillel, and then there was a man named Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Hillel, he was actually the teacher of, of Saul, right? As we encounter Saul in the New Testament, who later turns into Paul, he was, he was Rabbi Hillel was Saul's teacher. And he said that, yes, our call to be a light into the world is actually to go out into the world and be a light, right? Rabbi Shammai said, he said, yes. And I put an asterisk there, right? Because he said that we have to keep ourselves clean. So in some senses, our light would shine really, really bright here. We separate ourselves from the Gentiles. They kind of stay there. If they're attracted to the light, they can come to us. We have to keep ourselves clean. There is this great story in the Shabbat. I was reading about this. And um, the, a Gentile comes up to this guy, Shammai, right? And he asks him to be converted. And he says this. He says, convert me. Um, while I'm standing on one foot, right? So this Gentile comes up and he says, he says, you have this long to convert me, right? However long you could stand on one foot. And Shammai says, nah, he, he kind of kicks him off. He says, I'm not going to do that. You, you, you know, kind of get out of here. He says, that's impossible to, to teach somebody the Torah as they're standing on one foot, right? And this Gentile then goes up to Rabbi Hillel and he says the same thing. He says, hey, this is, this is kind of the time that you have. So if, if you are thinking about your witnessing technique, this is, this is what you have. You have to be able to explain Christ while somebody is standing on one foot. And listen to uh, Hillel's just brilliant and beautiful answer. He says, I should have put this up there. He says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to one another. That is the entire Torah and the rest is interpre- interpretation. Go study. So he says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to one another. That is the entirety of the Torah, and the rest is interpretation. Go study, right? So these, this was a classical, you boy, this was a classical debate that was going on. How do we engage the Gentile world? How do we reach out? Do we stay in? Do we lose our identity? Do we keep our identity, right? And, and this is what they would, they would battle over. And the thing that I love about the Bible, the thing that we've said about the Bible again and again and again, is not that this is just an ancient story that happened, but that the Bible is happening. It's always happening amongst our midst. Because we have the same issues that we're facing today, right? We have the same. So it was Gentiles. Maybe it was then slaves. Maybe then we're asking the question, what about women? What about minorities? How do we incorporate? Do we reach out to minorities? Are we allowed to think about, you know... The, the, the question of the LGBTQ, do we reach out to them to remain our identity? How do we do that? You know, there was kind of these liberal theologians that kind of arose at a particular time. Obviously, what about those Republicans? What about the Democrats, the fundamentalists, all these sorts of things? Do we reach out, right, and, and lose our identity? Because if you're going to reach out to these people and try and assimilate them in, you will lose some of your identity. Or do we kind of remain, you know, inclusive, I'm sorry, exclusive and say, no, 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 we just, if, if you want to kind of join our way, you can join our way, but we're not going over to your, to your way, right? So the question is not that just that it happened, that it's happening. This happens all the time. Then what we learn about this is often as a way of, of, of dealing with this conflict, this internal conflict, right? Think about, uh, there's probably somebody on this list that you're like, eh, I don't know about those people, right? As a way of dealing with that internal conflict, 
one of the things that we do is we use kind of a, a mechanism called scapegoating, right? We scapegoat people. And an example would be the Apostle Paul in the first century says, the problem in our world, right? it's not the, the Apostle Paul, Saul, Saul before he's converted, the problem in our world right now is the Christians. They are following this Messiah who wasn't even a Messiah. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He goes around and he's actually, sorry, Saul goes around and he's actually trying to kill the Christians as a way of saying, you're the problem. Once I get rid of you as the problem, right, then we can really kind of move on in life, right? Sometimes on the flip side, though, maybe you have some folks who, you know, consider themselves to be liberal. They consider themselves to be inclusive. Sometimes the word tolerant gets thrown around in there. And they will say, you know what the real problem in this world is? It's those exclusive, intolerant, those fundamentalists. Those people are the problem. And if we could just enlighten those people so that they could know what's going on, man, then, then, they, then we would really get on in this world, right? What we learn, though, because we see both sides of this, and it's really, it's really a simple solution, that the issue is never the other, right? Nobody on this list is ever the issue, right? The issue is not the other. It's the scapegoating mechanism that is within each one of our hearts that says, you know what, the real, the real problem out there is, is that group, right? That's the problem. So Simeon in, in, this, in this passage, sorry, getting back to the passage, we've kind of taken a long detour. Simeon in this passage calls Jesus a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if when Simeon's kind of speaking these words and he has the baby in his hand, I don't know and I don't think, and it would be hard-pressed to get me to say, that Simeon sees like all the way down to the cross, right? Where, where Jesus kind of becomes the scapegoat, right? Who will take the blame. I don't know if Simeon sees that. We get to see that, right? We get to see that, yes, Jesus becomes the scapegoat, right? Jesus becomes the one who takes the blame, the punishment, the pain, the rejection, in, insofar as that perhaps as he speaks his words to his followers, this whole way of scapegoating could end. Albert Schweitzer would say it like this, and I've, I've paraphrased a little bit into it, but he says this, he says, that Jesus was called to throw himself on the wheel of world history, right? What's the wheel of world history? It's scapegoating. It's groups of people saying, that group's the problem. No, that group's the problem. No, that person's the problem, right? It's scapegoating. And Jesus is called to throw himself on the wheel of world history so that even though it crushed him, it might start to turn in the opposite direction. Uh, have we seen the Passion of the Christ film? What, when, when did that come out? What year was that? 2004. 2004? That sounds right, right? So, man, that's crazy that that movie was so long ago. And, you know, Mel Gibson, violent, gruesome, bloody. If you're a little queasy, I'm going to show just, you know, like a Jesus on the cross image in a second. So if you just kind of, that doesn't really bring the Christmas spirit into you. you can. I, I was thinking about this. You know, the, the, the violence... And the brutality and the, the thorn and the nails and the crucifixion. And we're thinking about Jesus in the scapegoating terms, right? 
I wonder if when we see Jesus on the cross, and obviously, okay, I'll show it. Like Mel Gibson does this, you know, it's this kind of, I don't know if it's over the top or if it's really historically accurate, probably more historically accurate than over the top, right? And we see this and it's, it's so, it's, it just makes our stomachs turn, right? When we watched, especially when we watched that film, maybe for the first time. Um, I was thinking about this. I wonder if he dies in this, in this fashion, this, this gruesome, this blood, this whips. Perhaps one of the things we see on display in the cross is how vile and vulgar and, and terrible and disgusting this, again, Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus throws himself on the wheel of world history and we watch it crush him so that maybe in his followers he can begin to turn the wheel the other way, right? Jesus dies to show us how vile and gruesome and disgusting and horrible this whole manner of scapegoating is. And scapegoating church isn't like out there. It's not in the, you know, the politicians or, you know, the kind of weird people out there or what you read on Twitter or the, the, the media. Scapegoating's right in here, isn't it? It's what I do. It's what you do. It cuts through every human heart. I love this quote by a guy named John Meacham who teaches us about Christianity and he says, the central tenet of Christianity, as it has come down to us, is that we are to reach out whenever our instinct is to pull inward. We are to give when we want to take. We are to love when we are inclined to hate, to include when we are tempted to exclude, right? That is the central tenet. That's what Christianity is about, is any time we feel that kind of like, Mm, that group over there is the problem. That person over there is a problem. That's exactly when we extend our hearts and our hands to them. The power of the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us the strength to do that, right? And when I think as the more and more we see heaven invading earth, we know that whatever that other is, whatever we say is a scapegoat, that other will disappear. That's, that's what we believe. And, and listen, I don't in any sense say in here and be like, yeah, the church has been just a beacon of, of getting this right. Um, we have. It's when the church is at its best. It's when the church is the most like Jesus, right? But it's, we have a lot of work to do to, to continue to do this, right? We have a lot of work to do to make, again, as, as we think about when heaven invades earth, right? is when the other disappears. When we look at one another and say, yeah, we're just kind of all together equal. There's, there's no other. We're all together equal here at the cross. Um, Simeon. I see a light of revelation to these Gentiles, right? I see a light of, rev- of revelation. And you go back, you know, he says, my Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Maybe Simeon, again, I, I don't think that Simeon sees all the way to the cross. Maybe there's something that the, that the Spirit of God does as he holds this child, right? Maybe that's why Simeon says, I see the end of this whole scapegoating thing, right? Something in this child will bring the end to this whole scapegoating thing. I want to end with two things. One, I want to end with a longer-ish passage from the book of Ephesians, um, a declaration of the inclusion of Gentiles, which, by the way, that's every single person sitting in this room. We're all Gentiles, right? We're just Gentiles here by the grace of God, right? Because of what Jesus did. 
Um, so I want to read Paul's kind of proclamation to the world about, about that, and then we'll end with a time of meditation, um, and that'll, that'll wrap us up. So let me read this passage. This is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 11, and I put it up on the screen here. Um, and, and think about this. It was funny. I was, I was listening actually to a, a podcast, and randomly N.T. Wright was talking about this. And he says, think about this as a proclamation in the first century, right? As Jew and Gentile are reconciled together in Christ, right? Sometimes we want to just kind of internalize it. Well, what does it mean for me, right? Sure, we're Gentiles. We're here together because of what Jesus did. Think about this proclamation in the first century. And Paul's saying this. This is uh, in the Passion Translation, I think. Um, He says, don't forget that you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and the prophetic promises of the Messiah, the promised hope, and without God. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, you have now been brought delightfully close to Him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. The wheel of world history crushed Jesus, brought out the blood of Jesus that brought you delightfully close to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has now been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jews and non-Jews fused together in him. Two have become one. And we, are, and, and we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. For the Messiah has come to preach the sweet message of peace to you, the ones who are distant and the ones who are near. And now because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. One last slide. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives have been built up upon the foundation laid by the opposites and prophets and the best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Christ himself. The entire building, I love this part, right? Because Paul makes all these great claims. But then he says this, it's still under construction. And that's what we experience today, right? The entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up, completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. That means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, right? Paul's grand announcement in that first century about Jew, and he says it about 10 times in 10 different ways. 
Jew and Gentile being reconciled together. Let's do this. Let's close. This is the last time um, I want to lead us in a meditation. Uh, I, I don't know about y'all, but for me, these, these kind of meditative, this was kind of my, my tethering moment. I wanted to tether myself again back to Jesus during these times. It's been helpful for me. I, I hope it's been helpful for you. I know that after that first week of doing it, it was kind of a meditation on, on gratitude, on being thankful. I remember coming back to that multiple times, thinking about thankfulness throughout the week, you know, just kind of that came into my mind. Last week, we kind of had that time of a song of sin confession. That was, that was uh, powerful for me as well, too. I was like, man, I, you know, really to kind of think about the sins, the cost that was paid. Um, it's not something that churches sometimes talk about uh, quite often. Some churches probably talk about it maybe too much, but um, yeah, it was like, really, okay, let me think about this. Let me consider this. Let me look at the sins um, and what Jesus paid and, and again, having a th- an attitude of thanksgiving for that. And then this last week, as we've thought about what, you know, Simeon, right? You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Peace is one of the big words of the Christmas season. So I want to lead us in a meditation on peace. So as we kind of do this, you know, find a nice comfortable space, kind of get comfortable in your chair, and then I'll lead us in, in one last meditation. This was going to kind of be based on peace. And as you just kind of settle in here for a moment, just take some, you know, just those deep breaths. We, we breathe so shortly. Focus on your breathing just for a second, taking those deep breaths. And to relax your posture. only 11.05. We're not in any sort of hurry. We're just going to take a few moments just to kind of soak in, just let the Lord speak to us here in some quiet moments. Take a few more deep breaths. And just begin to let that word peace kind of bounce around in your mind for a little bit. As you think about what is peace, what, what images come to mind? What, is your, what does your mind begin to consider? Can you think of someone in your life who you would consider a peaceful person? Is there a physical location that you associate with peace? What about a time in your life that maybe you felt especially at peace? 
What is peace? Now, in the Bible, as we think about peace in the Bible, the word that is most often associated with peace is shalom. Shalom is larger than just kind of lack of conflict. The concept is more about joining parts together that were once separated. When all essential parts are joined together, wholeness. The concept of shalom is about joining parts together that were once separated. When all essential parts are joined together, wholeness. Peace is about all parts of us being brought into wholeness. Our displaced thought patterns that we believe about ourselves and others, our fractured emotions, the damage, the damaged and the marred past that still affects us, the broken relationships that had been that have been severed. The concern or the dread that the future will end up in shambles. The awkward distances between people of different races, ethnicities, genders. Peace is about all the parts of us being brought in to wholeness. And to all of this, we are asking for the one who was known as the Prince of Peace to bring wholeness, reconciliation, justice, and peace. I want to practice a little bit of a kind of a, 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 I call it a peace breathing, or just a kind of a, a way to, to breathe in and exhale different things. So this first kind of inhale, exhale, I want you to inhale this simple phrase, Father, restore my relationship with you, right? Make me whole, joined, connected. Father, restore my relationship with you. And then as you exhale, we've done this, but exhale all the sin that so easily separates and, and, and divides you and isolates you from the Father. Inhale, Father, restore my relationship to you. Exhale, the sin that separates. Try that for a few times.
Let's try this one. Jesus, restore my relationship with others. Jesus, restore my relationship with others. Lead me in the way that you reached out, related and loved, again, all those kind of others, all those who get scapegoated. Jesus, restore my relationship with others. And then exhale. Sometimes we just hold petty differences between others. Sometimes there's real hurts. Sometimes there's just history of, of, of poor choices between one another. So Jesus, re- inhale, Jesus is restoring those relationships with others. Exhaling petty differences, um, the, the kind of hurts, the loss, the pain. Jesus, restore my relationship with others. Exhale, all of that, those petty differences, loss and pain. Try that for a few, a few breaths. And lastly, let's try this. Holy Spirit, would you restore my relationship with myself? Would you restore my relationship with myself? All the ways that I've become broken. Join together my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength to love you, to love myself, to love others. Holy Spirit, restore my relationship with myself. And then exhale, one of the, one of the, the, the tricks, one of the, the tactics of the, enemies, of the enemy is shame and guilt and despair that we heap on ourselves. So inhale, Holy Spirit, restore my relationship with myself. Exhale, the shame, the guilt, the despair, the discouragement that the enemy has used in your life. Let's try that for a few times. Let's close this time by one of the most famous verses in the Bible about peace. I think this is, this is a little different translation. It's Philippians 4, 7. Tell Jesus every detail of your life. Then let God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding guard your mind and your heart in Jesus Christ. Tell Jesus every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends, it's beyond our understanding, will come into us and it will guard our heart and our mind through Jesus Christ.
We'll close by thinking about peace one more time. Considering what it would look like to leave this church this morning, really surrounded by that beyond human understanding, that transcendent peace that Jesus gives us. How that changed your life? How that changed the lives of those around you? Think about peace. All the essential parts joined together. Thank you for the peace that you give us, Father. This week will be more probably frenetic and chaotic and busy. There will be more going on. There will be more traffic. There will be more noise. And in the midst of that, we will live with the peace that we receive from you. It's beyond any human understanding. Transcends our, our, our kind of normal modes of operation, of thinking. We live with the peace that you give us. All these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Mr. Brian, let's do a couple songs. Um, at some point, too, if you want to come up and take the Eucharist, um, we'll have that available, too. Oh, it's this weekend? Yeah. Tonight? Mm-hmm. From 4 to 9, I believe. Okay. At uh, Village Bible. Um, and, and Garden Grove. Text me that information, and then I'll just put it out on the, I'll put it on an email or something. I just figured if anybody here wanted to know. And that was, that was really cool. We did that a couple years ago. That was well worth it, so... Thank <laughs> you.